Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. We're just going to start uh, in the book of Mark and then get back into Revelation 21. Mark chapter 10. And we'll read from verse 17. And it says, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running, and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, and he is approaching the Lord Jesus Christ, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is, God. Thou knowest the commandments, Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions." The world has no idea what lies beyond this world. They choose to fill their lives with excuses and abundance, ignoring God and all that is around them. They are blinded to the reality of sin and its eternal price, the eternal price of sin, trading riches in this world for an eternity of blessings with Christ. However, I would ask all of us to reflect on our lives and see if they line up with the rich young ruler. Does sacrifice scare us? Does focusing on eternal things scare us? Do we, as God calls us to sacrifice and to give up of our lives, as he calls us, do we turn away saddened? because the cost is too great. Take a critical look at your own life and not necessarily judge this young rich ruler, but compare it to our lives. Our lives shouldn't be anything like this man, but are there instances in our lives that we can look back and say, you know what, I just turned the other way because the sacrifice was too much. And oftentimes we trade riches of this world. We, we give in to what this world has to offer and we, we get caught up in the busyness of this life and we give up uh, for a moment the riches that we have in Christ for the riches of this world. Jesus several times in the Sermon on the Mount talks about riches and treasure in heaven and the Apostle Paul discusses this at length, the hope that we have laid up for us in heaven. Peter discusses this as well when he says that we have an inheritance which is imperishable, reserved in heaven for us. That we have so much to look forward to. So much to look forward to. And last week we, we saw part of that treasure found in the city of eternity. The central focus of eternity, that, that as John sees it, the new Jerusalem. And this week we're going to go inside that city. And we're going to take a look at some of the features that are inside of this magnificent city. 
flip over to Revelation 21. And we'll read from verse 9. Revelation 29, verse 21, verse 9, and it reads, And there came unto me John, one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a wall, great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth foursquare, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, or 1,500 miles. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof in 140 and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth uh, chrysoprasus, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bore twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. His name shall be in their foreheads. Even though this section of Revelation from Revelation 21, verse 10, uh, 9, to Revelation 22, verse 5, primarily focuses on the New Jerusalem, I don't want us to think that this is all that eternity is. This is a magnificent city, and it's massive. It's 1,500 miles cubed. It's huge, but this isn't all that eternity is. John just focuses in on it. Why? 
Because that's where God is. And that's where he sees the light of God, the glory of God emanating from this city. John's focus is on God. And that's why for all these, this, this passage, this section of scripture, that's what John is looking at. But I don't want us to get the idea that this city is it. That this is everything that eternity has to offer. Okay, we've seen this. I kind of know what it's going to be like. There's so much more beyond the description given here. Take a look at the Old Testament. There's writings in there. Isaiah and Ezekiel saw what it's going to be like in eternity with Christ. Wonderful visions in the Old Testament. But here John is primarily focused on God. It's what he really cares about. Last week we saw the exterior of the city as we observed its walls, its gates, its foundations, the way it was set up. And in its appearance of precious gems and jewels that the city as a whole looks like a single diamond. The word used for jasper there um, in verse 11 of Revelation 21 uh, it's not actually the, the stone jasper. Um, it's, it's more in reference to a diamond, clear as crystal, that the glory of God is, is emanating from this city and it's shining out in brilliant light across the new heaven and the new earth. And all of this is magnifying the glory of God. Because what did Jesus say? He said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And he who is light consumes this city. He is the central figure, the one who is light. We explored how the city has markings of the 12 tribes of Israel, a connection to the Old Testament. Its foundations, the foundation of this city with the names of the 12 apostles bringing about a connection to the New Testament. The idea here is that God's faithfulness is on display. God's faithfulness is on display. It's not a trophy of man's achievements, but rather a showcase of what God has done. What God has done on the earth in spite of man's frailty and sinfulness. It's a display of who God is. That's ultimately what this city is. Yes, we can get carried away with the gold, with the, with the jewels and the stones, but ultimately what this city is is a display of who God is shining out in magnificent light. The city's measurements were also taken, and I mentioned already, but it's 1,500 miles cubed. 1,500 miles. It's massive. Absolutely massive. Uh, I think I had mentioned it's 15,000 times the size of the city of London in total volume. 15 or 150,000, I can't really remember. Either way, I can't fathom how large that is. It's huge. It's unlike anything that we've ever seen on this earth. Man's crowning achievement in creating skyscrapers to the heavens, in developing the technology to be able to lift a building up that high and account for wind and, and weather and all of that, is simply dwarfed by the magnificence of what God can create. And so we, this, we see this giant city on display for the entire universe to show the glory of God. And now we come to the interior of this city as John ultimately focuses on the throne of God. Verse 22 of Revelation 21, it says, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. I saw no temple therein. Do you know what? why this statement is so interesting. Go back to Revelation 8. 
Revelation 8, verse 2. And this is John writing. He wrote the entire book of Revelation. And so what he sees here, um, he knows that he's already seen by the time he gets to Revelation 21. Verse 2 of Revelation 8, And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there were given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. A golden censer, an altar, and incense. What comes to mind with that list? A temple. A temple. We would associate all of those things with a temple. Turn over to Revelation 11. Revelation 11, verse 19. And this is John writing again. And the temple of God was opened in heaven. And there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. When John sees the visions in Revelation 8 and Revelation 11, he clearly sees a temple. But now we come to Revelation 21, and he says, and there was no temple. <laughs> there was no temple. Why? Flip back to Revelation 21. The second part of verse 22 and, and 23 uh, give us the clue or the reason for this. I saw no temple therein. So John's already seen a temple earlier in Revelation, but now he sees no temple therein in this city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. God will literally occupy the entirety of the new universe with the brightness of his glory. The dwelling place of God will be everywhere, and there will no longer be a unique place identified as a temple. Hence why John doesn't see a temple anymore. And I think this is a marvelous picture for us. Um, there will be no longer be a need for a church. There will no longer be a need for meetings or services. There will no longer be a need for a building like this. There'll no longer be a need for a temple. Why? Because we will always and forever be in the direct presence of God. He will consume all of eternity. He will consume all of eternity. Everything is the temple because God will be plainly seen. In verse 22 it says, For the, Lamb, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. That they just consume everything. That God is completely everywhere. That the glory that is shining from this city goes out into the entire universe and consumes all of it. And so, in fact, all of eternity is the temple because God and the Lamb are the temple of it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. What had John heard earlier? In Revelation 21, the tabernacle or the dwelling place of God is among men. The overall idea here is that the presence of God and the Lamb defines the temple. We will never be able to escape his glory. 
We will never be able to go too far away from him. Traveling and exploring on the new earth will feel just as close as if we were walking on the golden streets of that city. We won't need to make a trip to a specific place to worship. We will forever be in his presence. And that's the wonderful reality of eternity with Christ. Oftentimes, Christians get discouraged because we feel so far from God. We feel so far from God. There's seasons and times in our lives where it just feels like we're so far away from God. And we sort of flip it around and say, well, he's so far away from us. It's actually the other way around. But oftentimes, Christians get discouraged because we feel so far from God. You know, I believe, but, but now I don't feel the presence of God. Or, you know, I'm struggling to read my Bible and, and I'm struggling to pray. My faith seems so weak, or I failed again. Do you ever have those moments? In times like these, I want you to memorize this passage of Scripture. Just these two verses. Verses 22 and 23. I want you to have this portion of Scripture memorized, and I want you to recite it. Every struggle, every tear... Every heartbreak will one day give way to absolute nearness to God. There is coming a day when no matter where we go, we will bathe in the glory of God. No, many, no matter how many steps we take, we will be no further away from God's magnificent light than when we started our journey. I want to encourage you in this. Everything that John sees, we can experience in a small way in this life. The glory of God, the light of the world, nearness to God, we can experience that in part in this life. But the feeling of having failed will one day be gone. The feeling of having failed will one day be gone. Don't let the discouragements of this life take hold of you. Don't give up serving because it feels futile in the moment. Because when the day comes and you see that city and that light, those struggles will simply disappear. As we are drawn, the closest that we will ever be to God in the direct presence of his shining, magnificent glory. John sees the closeness with God as the first thing inside this city. And I think that's great. And what a tremendous reminder to us for what eternity is like. That's what John sees as he goes through the gate, as he travels through the gate. What does he see? He just sees absolute nearness and closeness to God. And he's completely taken aback by it. It's a reminder for us. In verse 23, it says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. A little bit below that, it mentions that there will be no more night. Again, uh, John is adding these negatives to, this, to the description because that's all he has to go on. He's just simply saying, you know what? This isn't there anymore. Currently, the earth runs on a cycle, a day and night cycle, and it has to for it to survive. 
There are things that take place in the day and, and other things that take place at night, and it runs as a cycle, and it has to. There's certain organisms and, and animals and things like that. Everything needs sleep, every, everything needs a break, everything needs rest, and it comes full circle to a day of work and, and preparation and getting things done, and then it just the cycle keeps repeating. The world has to have this cycle keep going. If the sun were to stand still for too long, all life on the earth would be destroyed. And so the earth runs on this cycle. However, the new earth will only experience day. You see, it's fundamentally different than the world that we know and the world that we live in. And again, John is reminding us it's completely different. Well, you mean to tell me that there won't be a sunset or a sunrise? You know, those are some of the most beautiful things. I don't know. <laughs> John doesn't see a sunrise or a sunset here. Maybe there is. I don't know. We don't know. All I know is that I won't need to sleep and that it will be day all the time. All the time. That'll be wonderful. <laughs> That'll be amazing. No need to sleep and it'll be day all the time. Don't we wish in this life that a day could just be a little bit longer? <laughs> Imagine one continuous day. One continuous day that stretches out that after a hundred years it will still be light out. And a thousand years later it'll still be light out. And 10,000 years and 100,000 years and a million years after that, it will still be light out. You might wish for a longer day on this earth, but it'll be a continuous, it'll be an eternal day when we are with Christ. When we are with Christ. Darkness cannot dwell with light. We're told that in Scripture. And that's how eternity will be. Complete and utter light. No darkness there. None at all. Verse 24, And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. Now we have to be careful here. A lot of people take this description and apply it to the millennial kingdom because it mentions nations and it mentions kings. But just to remind us, we have to take a look at the book of Revelation chronologically. There's a couple instances in there where uh, it's referencing events that took place in the past. But overall, the book of Revelation goes chronologically, from Revelation chapter 1 to Revelation 22. The events here that, that John is recording, the nations and the kings that he is mentioning here, cannot be a part of the millennial kingdom. Why? Because they are mentioned after the new heaven and the new earth, and after the millennial kingdom uh, has been set up and then finished in Revelation 20. So it's not talking about that. Well, what does it mean when it says kings and nations? People often get to this passage and are kind of confused as to what it means. Well, the word used for nations here is ethne, and it simply means the peoples. It simply means the peoples. It can be translated as nations, but it's more commonly translated Gentiles in the New Testament. So this word simply means all the people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. That's what that word means. Nations. Not specific, well, the United States of America is going to be there, Canada is going to be there, Thailand is going to be there. No, it's just the people, those who are redeemed. The people. No longer will there be any divisions, but one unified body. I can't wait for that. There's so many divisions in the church itself. 
God never intended it to be this way. The model, the picture is found here. One unified body, all working together towards one goal, and that's serving the glory of God. So one day, one day, it'll be one unified body. Now the mention of kings has multiple interpretations. And the one I like the most, and, and I just want to preface this, I can't be dogmatic about it, I can't say this is the way it is, but the one I like the most is this. All those who are kings or leaders in this world hang up their glory and give glory to God. Give glory to God's city. Their glory is now gone and we are all at the exact same level. Because what? God is the focus. And it's God's glory that is the focus. And so the kings of the earth, the leaders of the earth, those who are saved, those who are redeemed, hang up their glory, hang up their honor, and give glory and honor to God. Verse 25. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Gates of ancient cities were always closed at night. It was a way to keep the city safe. And gates of cities were often a, a display of that kingdom's authority and rule. And so you have various kingdoms creating different ways and how to make walls and just making them ridiculously large and thick for the sake of showing off. But the gates of the ancient cities were always closed at night. It was for protection. And we have sort of equivalents, I guess, uh, in, in this life. Uh, there's such a thing as gated communities. You have a card that you swipe in, in, in order to get into your little suburb, um, and there's a gate that closes behind you. It's to let certain people in and let certain people out. That's just sort of the way it's set up. And so that's sort of an equivalent um, that we have from, you know, the uh, ancient cities. At my work, uh, I have two RFID cards, and I have to wear them on my belt um, because security is insane in the building uh, that, I work, that I work in. One is for the building, and, and another is for the floor, uh, the floor that I work on, the ninth floor. And there's security absolutely everywhere. The moment that you walk in the front door, you're greeted by four security guards. Um, and they're watching you as you walk around inside the foyer. And they watch you as you walk throughout the building to make sure you're going only to the places that you're authorized to go to. Um, I brought in uh, Colin Bartley uh, probably last year just for a bit of a tour and for him to give some advice on a project that we were working on. And I had to get clearance for him with security a week earlier and they sort of do a check a quick check and see okay well has this person you know been involved in any sort of crimes uh you know what's their sort of background and history and then i finally got the okay the day before he was coming that, okay everything's good you can follow him but you have to stick right beside him the entire time that you walk through don't let him out of your sight or security will come and grab him and take him out of the building a typical, day, a typical day for me is this. I walk into the front building, I swipe a card, I go through sort of a turnstile door, right past security. I walk to the elevator, I hit the button, wait for the elevator to come down. I swipe on the elevator to go to my specific floor, go up, I exit the elevator, I turn to the right, I have to swipe with my card for that floor 
to get through the front entrance to Canadian Tire. Uh, I go through that, I pass security on the left, there's a couple security guards there, they make sure I am the person who uh, swiped the card, they do a quick visual check. I go just past security, I swipe my card to get into the common area uh, of the workplace. Uh, I go a little bit further, put my bags down, my jacket, I swipe my card, I go into the conference room, uh, and then we have a sort of telepresence room that I, it identifies, visually identifies who you are so that you're authorized to use the technology. Um, and if I have to go to the bathroom during it, I swipe, <laughs> open the door, and I can go to the bathroom. <laughs> That's just a typical day. We love security. Like, security is insane in this world. The one thing that I appreciate about this city is that the gates are always open. I do, will not have to swipe anymore. That's the one thing, perhaps out of everything, that I'm most excited about. No security. There's just an angel there to greet you as you come and go, but the gates are always open. It's daytime all the time. There's no night. There's no mischievous people up there. There's no evil up there. There's nothing that the city needs to protect itself from. The glory of God is shining and emanating out of it. There's no swipe cards at all. And it will be wonderful and it will be amazing. Revelation 14 explains that we will enter into rest. We will continually, that word there and, and the context there is that we will be continually refreshed. Again, no need for sleep to sort of get our bodies to repair itself and to wind down and recharge. We'll continually be refreshed. It's daytime all the time. So there's no need for the gates to ever close. Verse 26. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Now this verse echoes what was previously said about the kings. Essentially, everyone who is saved will cast any glory that they may have at the feet of the king of kings. And it also gives us a glimpse of what happens to our rewards. Elsewhere in scripture, it mentions us casting our crowns or rewards before the throne of God. And I believe we see that here. Any good we did or any achievement we had for Christ, well, it was the Spirit of God doing in us, wasn't it? It was the Spirit of God's work in us. And in the end, God gets all the glory. So all of those who enter that city receiving a reward will simply give it back to God. That's why it mentions there that they will bring, they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, that any rewards that are given are simply given back as we are witness to the glory and magnificence of God. Now, people get bent out of shape when you mention heavenly rewards, and you know, they sort of say, well, you mean that some people will get more and others will get less? Yes, the scriptures say that. There will be some that will receive uh, a bunch of rewards, and those who have not lived their life for Christ but are saved, and they haven't really done much for the Lord Jesus Christ, will suffer loss, it says. That rewards will be taken away from them. They will suffer loss, and they will only be there because of the blood of the Lamb. Which is perfect. You know, the blood of the, the Lamb is, is the entire reason that we are there. But a life, the life that we live here on this earth, can be lived either for the glory of God or for the glory of ourselves. And all that stuff that we did for ourselves will be just burnt up and will amount to nothing. So the Bible mentions several times about heavenly rewards, those getting 
several of those others getting less, uh, some people not getting uh, any at all. The Bible speaks of that, and I'm not here to discuss that. But in the end, it's all for the glory of God, all of it. So why wouldn't you pursue a life lived for God, a life lived for Christ, to the fullest that you may, might be able to give back as much as you can? You see, the Christian life is to be lived for Christ. That's why we're called Christ ones, Christ followers. It's the whole reason that we're called that. And so as we look at this picture of this city, and as John sees just the magnificence of the glory of God, as he focuses in on that, that should tune our hearts to a service, to a, li to a life lived for Christ, realizing that ultimately it's all about the glory of God. It's not about us. It's about him. And so the lives that we live on this earth, might we live them to the fullest for Christ? Might we sacrifice everything that we have for him? Because as short as this life is, it has such an implication on the eternal state. Such an implication. A year wasted here echoes throughout eternity. So let us run the race that is set before us. And let us serve and honor our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is the focus and the center of eternity. He is ultimately what we are supposed to be working towards. That end goal when we see that city. When we see him and our witness to his glory. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we could open up your word. We thank you that it shows us and reveals to us just a little glimmer of what eternity will be like. We thank you for the reminder that it is that we are to live lives according to your will and according to your way. Father, we pray that any ambition in of ourselves, any ideas of ourselves, that those would just simply fade away and give way to your will. Might we daily come to you and seek you. Might we daily pick up our cross and follow you, not worrying about what the world thinks or what the world sees, but might we have that eternal perspective in mind. Might we be looking up. Might we set our mind on heavenly things, things above. May we be looking forward to that city whose maker and builder is God. Might we long to be there. And might it reshape the lives that we live here on this earth. That we might live them to the fullest extent whereby you grant us. That we might honor you and glorify you with every breath that you give us. Father, we pray that as we leave this place that we might just be filled with joy that we might be filled with anticipation, that we might be excited about what the rest of the day holds, about what this week might hold in service to you. We commit it all to you. We lay it before you. We pray that you would give us the strength to do just that. We pray all this in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.